This episode contains adult language and topics that may be disturbing for some listeners. Such topics include suicide, drug use, physical or sexual abuse of a child. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Grant. And I'm Erica. And this is From From Crime Crime to to Crime. Crime. Welcome back to From Crime to Crime. We finally, well, you finally did it. We got to a thousand followers on TikTok. Yeah, we get to go live now. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, you're coming out here on Friday, so we can go live, you know, Friday, Saturday, something like that, and give it a test run for our very first maiden voyage. Yeah, because we have no idea what to do, so. <laughs> no, it'll probably be a mess. Yeah. yeah, we'll just press the button and see what happens. <laughs> We're made for live TV, you know, that's, Are that's we? our next stop. Are we? Because I, yeah, I, I feel so. like I spend a lot of time editing us every week to be consumable. So, well, you're very mean. Little, and we have. I am we have not mean. Comments about that. Hey, we have comments that have been said that you are very mean to me. So I'm just throwing it out there. One other people think you're mean. We have one review that says that I should be nicer to you. It doesn't even say that I'm mean. It says that I should just be nicer to you. What if it means I'm being nice, but like just not enough? Yeah, mean. Obviously, I'm very nice to you, but I couldn't be any nicer. And you, you could be nicer because you're kind of mean, is what she's saying. I don't think so. I personally think you're fine. Yeah. But. Well, also, you know what it's like to have to do a podcast every week with Grant. So. Mm. (laughs) Hey. That's why you think I'm fine, because you're like, I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can't argue that a ton. I'll be honest. That's. Yeah. It's got to be hard doing a podcast with me. I, I fully admit that. Yeah. It's uh, it's challenging. But Angie D MMA, thank you for your comment. Yeah. Grant has been using that against me ever since he read it. Just so we're, we know. Thanks, Angie. <laughs> You're my favorite listener now. Yeah, of course she is. If you want to give us any more feedback, go to our, go to, uh, where do you go? Apple. Yeah. Yeah. Go to Apple podcast or Spotify and you can rate review us. Give us five stars. Tell Erica to be nicer to me. Things like that. So, or not with that. So I don't know what else you'd leave then, but okay. All right. Well, I'm excited to tell you about tonight's episode. Well, let's do it. I'm very excited because you haven't told me anything about this. So, yep. So we're going to head back to Canada for this episode. Richmond, British Columbia. Hey, that's where my family's from. Sweet. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they live on the sunshine coast of British Columbia. Oh, nice. Well, we're going to be going all the way back to the 1980s. So this case takes place over like a seven-year period from 82 to 89. They were there then. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to be talking about a lady named Cindy James, but she was born Cindy Hack, and she was the oldest of six children in her family, three boys, three girls. She had a pretty normal upbringing. They were a military family, so they moved around a bit, and it was probably pretty strict. I mean, her dad was a military guy, and there's some things been said about that he was, you know, pretty strict. Sure. 
So, but they were close. They were a close family. After high school, Cindy went to nursing school and she graduated nursing school in 1966 and she loved kids and she wanted to be like a pediatric nurse and all that kind of stuff. She ended up working in a preschool with kids and she loved, loved, loved her job and her kids and everything. I'm glad she did. I would hate, absolutely hate that. Yeah, that'd be terrible. When I was reading this, I was like, oh my God. Torture. Snotty, snotty noses everywhere, wiping them on everything. Like, yeah. Like, uh, one at a time's cool, like two even, but like a whole gaggle of them, I couldn't do it. No. So anyway, she ends up working at a preschool. Everybody describes her as being super good with kids, even though she doesn't have any of her own. But around this time, when she was about 19 years old, Cindy married a guy named Dr. Roy Makepeace. Oh. Yeah, it's an interesting last name. Dr. Roy Makepeace was a psychiatrist, and he was like 18 years older than Cindy, so he's like in his 30s when they get married. Wow. Yeah, and he had already had a first wife and children and all that kind of stuff, so they don't have any children together. And there's not a lot known about their relationship in general and their marriage, but it did last for 16 years, but in a diary that they found later on, which we'll kind of get to later, she had written a little bit about him being somewhat emotionally and physically abusive. That's terrible. Yeah, it's kind of scary to think about him being a psychiatrist. Like, he would know how to emotionally abuse somebody, like, professionally. Re- so that's kind of Real sketchy. well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but we don't... That's not substantiated. Like, nobody... We don't know that for sure, but it was found in her diary, so... Anyway, by 1982, they're going through a divorce, and it's said to be pretty amicable. Like, they don't have any children or anything, so it made the transition pretty uncomplicated. They just kind of split up, and Cindy moved out and got her own place. Easy enough. They don't usually work out quite so nicely. Yeah, this one seemed to. But by October of 1982, Cindy was worried about some phone calls that she had been receiving. So she called the police, and this would be the first of over, like, a hundred calls that she would make to the cops over the next, like, seven years. She reported that she was receiving a lot of, like, heavy breathing or hang-up phone calls for a while that she just kind of ignored, but they were starting to escalate, and the person would, in, like, a raspy voice or trying to, like, disguise their voice, they would tell her that they were going to kill her or they were going to harm her. Pretty scary stuff. Yeah. I mean, that... Why do people keep doing this shit? You know, like I don't know. We, we've had multiple stalkers episodes. don't make any sense to me. Yeah, I yeah, I don't get it. I know we've had a lot of stuff like this, but like I just I don't know. It's just so much effort. Maybe that's what it is. Is I just we just can't imagine putting so much effort into something that like nefarious. Like yeah, like why am I going to put useless. so much into something? Yeah, like this person's not going to be excited to talk to you afterwards. Like the uh, you only yeah. look like a weirdo. Yep. So the next few reports that she calls in to the cops were getting, like I said, they were getting worse and worse and worse over time. Like her phone lines were cut multiple times. Like she would try to call the police for something or call anybody and her phone lines were cut. Her exterior lights like on her porch and stuff had been tampered with so that they wouldn't turn on. Oh my God. Yeah, there was two separate arsons, like fires started on her property or in her home. What? Yeah. What? And, yeah, we'll get into that. Yeah, it's it's intense. Yeah, it's intense. What the hell is going on? She also started to receive letters in the mail, but not just like mailed letters. They weren't just like, hi, how are you? Love you or, you know, something that like a stalker would do. They were like scary <laughs> stalker stuff. They were like letters cut out of magazines and then like glued together. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
Yeah, to make sentences. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm real aware. This is real, like, 1980s, like, stalker stuff. Yeah. And some of them even had pictures of women, like, being choked or knives Ooh. glued to them. And they oh said stuff like, soon, or I'm watching this... you. You know, creepy shit. Just your run-of-the-mill, real creepy shit. The internet really did take this kind of stuff away, though, didn't they? Like, I feel like we... it did. Yeah. We don't get this much anymore. So no. uh, I don't well, know if also... that's a good thing or a bad thing, but that's, you know, a cause of the internet. Yeah, but also like surveillance cameras and shit like that. Mm, Cell phones, you know. Yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah. So like I said, it got worse as time went on. On three separate occasions in like a couple month period, she came home to find a dead cat hanging by the neck from her from like her porch. What? Yeah, so three different cats. What? Just murdered. Like on her, just on her porch, just. Yep, hanging. I've heard, I've seen some things, but I haven't been able to like fully vetted out that said that there was notes with them, but they didn't really say what they said. Just shit like, you could be next, you know. Whew, man, hanging too. Like, that's not just like a quick thing. Like, that's a concerted effort. You got to be there. You got to hang them up, you know. Yep. Like, that's. Yeah. Wow. You got to kill them. That's. Where the I mean, hell did you, where do you find this case? Oh, this is like a super well-known case. I've known about this forever, I feel like. It was on Unsolved Mysteries when we were kids, and then everybody got like obsessed with it. Because we'll get in, you'll find out why, because it's pretty interesting. All right. So another report that she made: she came home one day, and her dog had been left with a cord tied tightly around its neck, and it was like shivering and covered in its own like urine and feces, and was almost dead. It oh was like scared God. to death, but luckily she found oh him in God. time to save him. He didn't die. So are the cops like taking this serious? Because I know stalking didn't used to be like a real thing. So <laughs> yeah, yes, they actually were taking it super serious. Totally were like trying to figure this out. And their first suspect obviously was her ex-husband, Roy Makepeace, because they'd only been split up for a few months. And Cindy really like flip-flopped back and forth on whether she thought it was him or not over the next few years. Like, she would say, yeah, I think it is him. And then she'd say, no, I really don't think it could be. But then in January of 1983, the creepy, weird, horrible stuff that this person was doing to animals and all that kind of stuff turned to Cindy. Her friend Agnes went to her house and Cindy didn't answer the front door. And Agnes knew that she took baths and stuff, I guess, like at night. And so she was like, oh, I wonder if she's in the bath or maybe she's in the backyard. And so she kind of went around the house to the back to see if she was outside. And that's when she found Cindy on the ground, unconscious, with a nylon stocking wrapped tightly around her neck. When Cindy came to, like, woke up, she was totally unconscious when her friend found her. But she got to her in time. She wasn't dead. And when she came to, she explained to her friend that she really doesn't know what happened. The last thing she remembers was going out to her garage to grab a box or something. And somebody attacked her wearing white shoes. But that's all she saw was the shoe. And then she doesn't remember anything else. Was she looking down? Is that why? Does she have no memory? Like, I don't know. Or maybe she got hit in the head or I don't know. Cindy would eventually change her name from Cindy Hack or Cindy Makepeace. I don't know if she ever went by Makepeace to Cindy James and she would move several times. She changed her phone number. She changed the car she drove, everything. But it was relentless. Like he would find her everywhere she went. And the police are taking this seriously? Yes, at first. At first, it as it went on, they didn't get more serious about it. They got less serious. <sighs> we got it. I got to know more because how do they get less interested in this? 
well, this girl was being stalked, blah, blah, blah. But after years of finding nothing, like no evidence of a stalker, and they always felt like Cindy was holding something back from them, like she knew more than she was telling them. Oh, well, that's interesting. Yeah. So the investigators started to believe that Cindy might be doing this all to herself or for attention. Yeah. So she was desperate for help. And since the police were more skeptical than they had been before, after, you know, never finding anything, she decided to hire a PI named Ozzy Caban. Ozzy gave Cindy a two-way radio, like, from her to him, because her phone Uh lines had been cut all the time. Like, her phone lines were getting cut a lot. So he was like, well, you're going to need a two-way radio in case something happens. So he gave her a two-way radio. And then in January of 1984, so we're like two years into this relentless stalking, Ozzy heard noises on the other end of the two-way radio that he couldn't decide what it was. So he booked it to Cindy's house. He's like, I got to figure out what's going on. And when he got there, her house was all locked up and everything, but she wasn't answering the door. So he broke down the front door and he found Cindy unconscious on the floor with a note. Wow. Yeah. With a note stabbed through her hand (gasps) with a paring knife. Yeah. Like they took a paring knife and stabbed it through the note and into her hand. Oh my God. What'd the note say? It said, now you must die, cunt. Oh, damn. Yeah, which you can't use that word, sir. Yeah. (laughs) You can't use that word on our podcast, Erica. Sorry, I'll bleep it. I couldn't say tits two weeks ago. (laughs) I don't think we could say (laughs) this then. (laughs) Well, it's a quote. If it's a quote, you can say it. (laughs) Oh, okay. Sorry, we can't come up with it on our own. Yeah. Cindy was taken to the hospital and treated for this wound on her hand from the knife. And when she came to, she didn't really remember much, except she remembered somebody maybe coming in her front gate. And then she also remembers like getting hit in the head, but it was from behind or the side because she didn't see anybody. And then she also remembers getting held down and a needle put in her arm. What? Right. Like, those are so, like, such odd things to have happen, number one, in your own house. Mm-hmm. But to only remember, like, those bits and pieces. To- yeah, but whatever this needle in her arm was could be why she keeps being found unconscious. Oh, okay, yeah. You know, and could be why she doesn't remember anything. I mean, we don't know what it is, so. That's crazy. Yeah. No, that's just n- nuts that somebody's coming in and injecting her. So the weirdest part about that whole situation, besides getting injected and being attacked in your own home, was that Ozzy, her P.I., said that her front door was locked when he kicked it in. And the police found no other signs of forced entry. Maybe the front door was just unlocked and the person who came in after unlocked it. Yeah, but how did they lock it when they left? It was locked when Ozzy got there. He had to kick it in. Well, was it the dead bull or just the the knob? Because if it was just the knob, you just click no, it, it, click it while not, you No, it leave. was a front door. It was a deadbolt. It was a front door. That's why it's so weird. And this, for the police, this is what's making them, you know, this is like solidifying for the police that she's making this up or exaggerating it or whatever. Like, they think she's doing this to herself because there's no signs that anybody else was ever there or could have been there. But stabbing through her hand, I mean, good Lord. I I mean, it's in the realm of possibility. Don't get me wrong. Of course. But it sounds less and less likely. Right? 
But even Ozzy and her family thought that she knew more about what she was saying. But her family thinks that it's because this person who attacked her threatened her one time when she was being attacked and told her that he would kill her family if she ever said anything. And so they think that she kind of like thought she knew who it was, but was scared to say it. I, I don't know. I've never been in that, in that position, I guess. I've always been on the assumption of I would just say something and like, you're going to get in trouble. I, I mean, I hope. But again, I'm a pretty big dude. So yeah, it's a lot different than, you know, yeah. somebody else who can't, totally. you know, who may not be able to defend themselves as easily. Right. So the police put surveillance on her and they would watch her. 24-hour shift, seven days a week for weeks or a month, and nothing would ever happen when she was being surveilled. So she just had like a straight-up detail on her yeah. all the time? Somebody was always watching her? Did she, yeah. Did she know? Yeah. And then as soon okay. as they would pull their detail, she'd get attacked or her house would get broken into or a pet would get killed. Like something would happen again. So then they would surveil her again but they were being super obvious with their surveillance they were parking two or three cop cars in front of her house and two or three behind her house and they were there was one article i read that said up to 14 cops were watching her at once oh my god so well they can't be at one time like maybe 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 you're watching her yeah but like on but not at like the same like nine to six shift there's 14 of them watching maybe like in a 24-hour period there's 14 cycling through maybe but they were not super low-key and they spent over 1.5 million dollars on this investigation in the 80s wow yeah that's some significant coin yeah they were really trying to figure this out but like i said they weren't being super low-key about the surveillance like even her family said there was just cops everywhere so of course what's this guy gonna do when there's cops everywhere he's not gonna attack her he's not gonna do anything there's cops everywhere so yeah. i don't know or maybe the perp was a cop so he would know when there was surveillance i'm thinking probably that's kind of where my head's starting to go is that like this guy's on the inside and he knows when where who all that kind of stuff so he knows when it gets pulled okay we're good to go now right but the cops look at it like it gets pulled and then something happens so they think it's Cindy doing it because... Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? I that's, understand. That's their mindset. Yeah. But what's going to irk your fancy a little bit here is while all of this was going on, Cindy started dating one of the first investigators that were on this case and he even moved in with her. Really? Yeah. And there was no attacks while he lived with her. Huh. Yeah. I find that really interesting. So there's no attacks while he lived there, which is not really a surprise. I mean, if you have a cop no. living with you and your stalker finds out, he's going to be like, well, I probably should stay clear of that because he might, I don't know, <laughs> shoot me. Yeah. So, but anyway, they eventually break up and he moves out. And this breakup wasn't like terrible. He actually like wanted to get more serious apparently and he wanted to marry her and she wasn't ready for that. And all, you know, obviously all this shit's going on. Right. And she just went through a divorce and she's having a hard time mentally with this whole thing because nobody's believing her and everybody thinks she's doing this to herself. So she's literally kind of losing it. And she has to have a couple like short stays in a psychiatric hospital. Oh. Yeah, which doesn't make the police believe her anymore. They're like, oh, yeah, she's crazy. You know, it's like, mm. Yeah. But she's- Yeah, that really doesn't help her case. Yeah. So she was trying really hard to prove that she wasn't lying, and she took three lie detector tests. God, isn't this somebody's, like, worst nightmare, too? Like, this is happening. You're telling the right people. Yeah. They're they investigating it. Well, they're trying to, but it doesn't all add up. Like, yeah. this is this is worst possible scenario for this girl. 
Totally. So she takes three lie detector tests. I wouldn't take one, so. <laughs> yeah, me neither, but. I mean, I get why she took them, and I, it's fine, but what if I, what if they'd come back and said that she was lying? Then immediately they're just create all that doubt around her, so I don't think it was a good idea for her to do it. Yeah. Okay, so what are her results? I assume if she took three. Yes. They're probably spaced out. Yeah. Yeah, they were spaced out, and the first two were inconclusive, and she passed the third one. Interesting. Yeah. But there's a lot of things that can make a lie detector test inconclusive, like, I don't know, pretty hardcore psychiatric meds. Yeah, I, sure. So she passed the third one. So she had time to study. No, no. I don't know who to believe anymore. Like, I thought for sure she was like being attacked, and then I thought she might be lying. Then I thought for sure she was being attacked again. So I'm just, I'm not sure where to stand on this yet. Okay. Well, let me keep going, and then maybe you'll, maybe you'll pick a side. I want it. I want it to be that she's not lying. I will say that, but okay. we'll see. So by the winter of 1985, so now we're like three years into this, Cindy was violently attacked again. She disappeared oh, for a short time and she was She found- disappeared? Yeah, like nobody knew where she was, her work, her family, anything. She yes, I'm, I'm familiar with the term disappearing. I got yeah. that. It wasn't, for like just- a, it wasn't for like a month. It was just for like a couple hours, maybe a night. Oh, okay. But they found her six miles away in a ditch, unconscious. She was wearing a man's shoe, one glove. She had cuts and bruises all over her body, and she had a nylon stocking wrapped super tight around her neck. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. And she was suffering from hypothermia pretty severely, but they found her in time to save her life. But just by chance, somebody came across her. She can't be doing this to herself, right? Like, this is extreme stuff. No shit. Yeah, okay. So she's not doing this to herself. Right. Okay. So I mean, maybe. <laughs> I mean, can't is a strong word, but I unlikely, I feel like. So we'll keep going, though, because once again, in the hospital, when questioned about this, Cindy had no memory of what happened to her at all. Nothing. Just nothing. Jeez. Yeah. This girl. But she's yeah. really losing it. You know, she is scared to death. She is mentally not doing very well. She starts asking friends to stay with her overnight because she's freaking scared. No, it makes sense. That makes total sense. I, I understand why she is. Yeah. So by the spring of 1986, in the middle of the night, one of her friends, Agnes, the one who had found her unconscious before, and her husband, Tom, they all woke up in the middle of the night to the basement of the house on fire. What? Yeah. On fire. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. all right. Okay. So they wow. Yeah. So at first when the investigators arrived and they started looking into this fire and everything, obviously they got the fire out and they started investigating. There was no signs of forced entry. There was even dust and spider webs and stuff on the windowsills for the windows to the basement. So the the investigators are like convinced that the fire was started from inside the house, not outside. So that's even worse because that person's coming inside and lighting this and leaving again. Well, that's how you look at it because you think that somebody's doing this to her. But the investigators looked at it like Cindy lit the fire herself. Oh, yeah. I'm sure that they did. That makes yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah. But Agnes and Tom were there with her and they weren't asleep in bed with her. So they don't know for sure. But when they went to call for help, 
the phone lines were cut. So Tom ran outside to go to a neighbor's house to call for like the fire department. I don't know if they use 911 in Canada. Probably, right? Or a different number, but something similar. Yeah, probably an equivalent to it. Yeah. Yeah. So he went outside to go run to a neighbor's to call for help. And there was a guy standing outside on the curb, like outside of her house. And when Tom asked him for help, the guy just ran away. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. What? Okay. So he did it. So Tom and Agnes are like, we believe her. Like, we saw a guy. The phone lines were cut. Like, we believe her. Wow. He just ran away. Just like, nope. (laughs) Yeah. But like I said, the investigators are not like super convinced because they really think Cindy is doing this to herself. Because when she was telling them like what her and Tom and Agnes did the night before the fire, she told them that she had taken her dog for a walk late that night alone without Tom and Agnes. And the police are like, um, why? What the fuck are you talking about? You've been like relentlessly stalked for years. Why would you take your dog for a walk late at night by yourself? Which I get. I mean, that's kind of a dumb thing to do. It is a dumb thing to do, but I also get, you know, wanting to kind of just be a normal person doing your own thing, even at your own risk. Exactly. Like, she could have been at the point where she was just like, freaking kill me already then. Yeah. Like, this sucks. Yeah, I can't do you anything know, alone. Like, I'm terrified of everything. Maybe she had a moment of just, I'm going to do this, and I'm just going around the block or something easy, you know? Exactly. So their skepticism, though, of all of this stuff is really getting to her and her mental health is becoming a real big problem. At one point, she even stopped eating completely like she tried to starve herself to death. I believe it. Yeah. And she had to be checked into a psychiatric hospital again. Jeez. Because this poor girl, she man. just couldn't handle it. Yeah. Who? I don't blame her. She's had a lot thrown at her. Yeah. And this stay at the psychiatric facility would last a few months. It was probably the safest place she could be, honestly. She's probably like, look, I'd rather be here than home. At least I can be on my own here. Yeah, I'm not really sure her, like, reaction to that because I think what was happening to her was making her seem like she wasn't mentally stable, but I think she was mentally okay. Oh, I don't mean she was unstable. I I don't mean that. I mean, just she gets a break, you know, like. Oh, you mean, like, safety-wise? Yeah, 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 yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, so this is around the time where they started tossing around the idea, though, that she might be suffering from, like, DID. DID. Do you know what that is? Is um, duplicate identity disorder. No. Uh, Disassociative identity disorder. Disassociative. Yep. Close. Yeah. Or multiple personalities. Oh, yeah. And their theory kind of was that the reason that she was so scared was because she was so scared. Like she didn't know her other personality was the one attacking her. Like that's their theory kind of. No. Yeah. No. That's their theory. But there was no sign of that documented during this assessment. Like her physicians and everything of this treatment, they were like, we don't, that doesn't, that doesn't even make sense. Like you guys aren't psychologist or psychiatrist or anything you're just making this shit up like something you saw in a movie she doesn't have that she might have ptsd and stuff like that but she doesn't really have this because apparently from the articles i was reading about this did is usually caused by childhood trauma or at least severe trauma in adulthood and it's usually like a some sort of way to protect yourself from trauma. So, like, the different personalities or however they describe it usually protect the host. They don't attack the host. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I get what you're saying. But that's, yeah, this is crazy stuff. Yeah. So the mental health professionals that she was being evaluated at this time with, 
didn't think she had this, but this is like the theory that they're now like arbitrarily just throwing around. And her mental health was a serious concern at this point. She was she wrote letters to people and in her journal and stuff that just said that it would be easier for her to kill herself than the hell she was going through. I mean, that that sounds right. Not that she should. Yeah. By any means at all, ever. Yeah. But it sounds like she's living a hell that we can't understand. Yeah, and she said this stalker is literally going to scare her to death. Yeah. He's either just going to kill her or he's going to scare her enough to where she kills herself or something else happens. Like, because this is out of control. Totally. Yeah. So when she gets out of the psychiatric facility, she had lost her place because of the fire. Like, her landlord was like, you got to get out of here. You can't live here anymore. You can't be setting my house on fire. (laughs) So she had... Well, plus, obviously, he knows where she lives. He lit, lit, lit her basement on fire, so she had to move again. Totally. Yeah, so, but this is also around the same time that Back she up started real quick. Did thinking. We, did we get any kind of description of the guy that her friend, um, Agnes's husband, Tom? No. I think it was Tom. Um, no. He had nothing on him. No. It was the middle of the night, and it was dark. He just saw a guy, and when he started talking to him, the guy ran away. Fair. I mean- No description. Okay. So when she's released from the hospital after this long stay, she started thinking that the stalker could be her ex, Roy Makepeace, again. And some people think that she was just grasping at straws, like, please just be Roy so that we could figure this out and be done with it. And then some people think she really thought it was Roy. Yeah, I mean... I would think it's got to be somebody she knows, I think, is what her thought process is. Like, this has to be somebody I've known personally, and she knew him pretty intimately, so why wouldn't it be him? Yeah, and if what she wrote in her diary was true about him being emotionally abusive and oh yeah, maybe even physically, like, it could be. So, at one point during this whole freaking debacle, her ex, Roy, even received strange phone calls himself. And there's a voicemail that he received that said, Cindy, dead meat soon. Oh, God. Yeah, I'm going to play it for you right now because there's, it's interesting. Hey, that sounds like Sylvia Brown. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> sort of. That was, yeah. So... That observation is actually pretty accurate because this voicemail caused the investigators to believe that it was a woman trying to sound like a man. Oh, this takes the investigation yeah. into, into a whole new direction. Yeah, so let me play it again just so you guys can hear it with that in mind. <laughs> Okay, so if they thought it was a woman trying to sound like a man, for them, this was pretty damning for Cindy. They were like, it's Cindy. She's leaving a voicemail as a different personality or something, you know, or trying to disguise her voice. I can't wait till we get to the end of this and know what happens because I I (laughs) so far think all of these options could be on the table. But the one thing that I don't think they took into account at all was maybe her freaking stalker was a woman. Like, and wasn't Cindy. Oh. Well, now. Like, they don't, I don't even think they thought of that. They were just like, oh, it's a woman, so it's got to be Cindy. It's like, uh, I'm pretty sure women would be better stalkers than men. We're way better at things. Yeah, 100%. Like, not everything. Obviously, there's stuff that you guys are better at than us, but like. No. I feel like stalking, we're way better at it than you. You guys always are violent and get caught and. 
Well, you're the first person I go to when I'm like, hey, I need to know more about this person. You're like, all right, give me an hour. And you come back yeah. with their dental records, their social security card, their arrest record, anything anything else I need to know, you have it. Yep. Anyway, the police, even around this time, they set her up with a tap and had her, like, confront Roy. And he didn't say anything incriminating. There was nothing to connect him to any of this. Like, he had alibis for a lot of the stuff that happened. Like, they were just like, damn, maybe it isn't Roy. I'm, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I know, you're like, I don't even know what to say. I don't I don't know who it is. I don't know what, what direction we're going. So I'm just trying to hold on with everybody else. Yeah. So then in the fall of 1988... We're six years in now, by the way. This is such a long time to be dealing with something like this. No shit. So Cindy was brutally attacked again. She was found hogtied in her car, unconscious, with a nylon stocking tied around her neck, which is now like the thing. Yeah. Dude, she's got to quit wearing nylons. Yeah, but this is the 80s. Everybody wore nylons. Even if it wasn't her nylons. Like, I'm pretty sure you could just buy nylons at, like, 7-Eleven back then. I don't know where you would get them, but... Can you not now? Well, I don't know. I don't think they exist anymore, do they? I don't know. I'm pretty sure my mom used to get hers at, like, Macy's. That sounds right. Yeah. It used to be all the rage. They're probably going to come back. Well, I would hope not. They're not coming back where I live. Why? It's, like, 118 degrees here. Oh, are they hot? Are they Are they hot? Well, there's zero chance I'm wearing any extra anything on my body. Are nylons hot? To be honest with you, I don't know. I don't think I've ever worn a pair of nylons, to be honest. Pair. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so, but this time was a little bit different. She was naked from the waist down, and when she came to at the hospital, once again, she had no memory of what happened or how she got there. Oh, man. What does this make? Is this the third time? I think it's the fourth time. Jeez Louise. Like, I mean, I think I feel really bad for her. Like, I really hope that she's okay, but, like, I, is she doing this to herself? And, and in that case, I hope she's okay, too, because that's even that's even worse, probably. I don't know. Is that worse? Yeah, it's kind of sketchier. I don't know. It's, I, maybe... I think it's equal, but different. As you can imagine, her mental health did not stabilize after this. The constant tormenting and stalking on top of the physical attacks. She couldn't remember anything, and no one believed her. She was literally losing it. Like, if you see pictures of her from when she was younger, she was a beautiful, like, vibrant young woman. And just over the course of this seven years, which should she shouldn't have looked that different, you know? She just looked drained. In, in pictures, you could tell she just looked like, like she was going through hell, literally. I feel like it. I'm going through a lot just listening to this. and Yeah, so the cherry on top was when she lost her job over this. She loved working with those kids, and she loved her job. But with everything going on and happening to her and stays in the psychiatric facility and everything, real or fake, everyone decided this wasn't good for her to be around children. Yeah, yeah. And she, I can agree with that for sure. Yeah, and so she lost her job. That really sucks. I mean, you know, it really sucks yeah. that she had to lose her job over this, whether it was her fault or not. Yeah. So by the beginning of 89, Cindy found a new job as a nurse, but the relentless stalking and attacks never stopped. Jesus. Like, they, it, it was just constant. So May 25th, 1989, Cindy deposited her paycheck from her job as a nurse at a local shopping center and then vanished. Intentionally? Well, I don't know. No. Okay. No. Okay. So when, where did they find her? Well, the police started their search for her at the shopping center where they found her car in the parking lot. Okay. The 
contents of her wallet were scattered all over the car and there was blood on the driver's door oh and there was still groceries. Yeah, and there were still groceries inside the car. Oh. So. so yeah, she didn't do this voluntarily. Yeah. So the search is on for Cindy and they find nothing. Then like two weeks later, a construction crew comes across Cindy in the yard of an abandoned house and it was about a mile away from where her car was found. Was she unconscious again like before? She was dead. Oh, okay. wow. Okay. Um, yeah. By suicide? Well, no. Well, maybe. She was partially decomposing, so she had been deceased for quite a while. Yeah. What the hell? Yeah. And just like a few of her other attacks, her hands and feet were tied behind her back, and there was a nylon stocking tied tightly around her neck. (sighs) Okay. What else do we know? Well, when they did the autopsy, even though she was found with a nylon cord tied around her neck and hog tied pretty much, her cause of death is determined to be a drug overdose. Wow, what? Yeah. So she had morphine and florazepam in her system, and the quantities that she had in her system were about 10 times the amount that would be needed to be lethal. Was there a needle in her again? They did find evidence of a needle mark in her arm, but no syringe or needle. Wow, really? Yes. So the police are convinced that Cindy did this to herself. So they rule her death a suicide almost immediately. They're just like, no, suicide, closed, case closed. How? How can you just immediately rule this a suicide? I mean, you don't know where the- Because they're convinced that she is mentally unstable and that for years she's been doing this to herself. Like, they really think that. I mean, I'm not totally convinced yet either, totally, but yeah, I'm on the side of, I don't think she's doing this to herself. Yeah. Well, her family and friends don't believe that either. They think she was murdered. So a coroner's inquest is called to determine if there was foul play, which is kind of like a, sort of like a jury trial. Okay. But where just takes a few months and they do it like in a court pretty much. And it's like a bunch of experts and people that testify to their opinions about what happened. And then they kind of come to a conclusion. So if the coroner's inquest would come back that it wasn't a suicide, they could kind of change that on the investigate. You know what I mean? It would change everything. So kind of a weird side note at this coroner's inquest, three psychiatrists testified. Three psychiatrists that were, like, involved in this case, maybe that had treated her in her stays at the facility or anything like that. Sure. But one of those psychiatrists was Roy Makepeace. What? Like, this- How does her ex-husband get to testify on this? That's what I was like. That seems kind of conflict of interesty to me, but- Absolutely. Especially if he was a a possible suspect. Right? That's what I was like, uh- but this coroner's inquest thing is not like a trial. So maybe there's different rules. And maybe they wanted him to testify because he knew her better than anybody. Yeah, maybe. You know, he was married to her for 16 years. Maybe they wanted his opinion as a psychiatrist if he thought she was out of her mind or if he thought this was really happening, you know. But again, like he can manipulate to abuse her. He can manipulate this system as well. 100%. He knows exactly what to say. Yep. And it doesn't really matter. Because all three of these psychiatrists had totally different opinions. Fantastic. 
Yeah, it's not like they all agreed and it was like, okay, that was easy. Every single one of them had a different opinion. One of them thought that she just had PTSD and like all this was real. And the other one thought there was like other issues. And then Roy thought she had the DID thing, you know, so it was like it didn't matter because they all testified for different things. So moving on from the mental experts, Uh the inquest takes a deeper dive at the drugs that killed her because they're like, well, maybe there's something in that. So being a nurse, Cindy would have access to morphine and flurazepam. Yeah, I imagine that. But the quantities that she had in her system, how would she have taken those from her work and her work wouldn't have noticed that they were gone? Like, flurazepam has to be taken orally. It can't be injected or any other way. And the amount that she had in her system was equal to about 80 pills. Jeez. Like, I would think they would notice if 80 pills were missing from the hospital, especially after she dies and that's in her system. You think they'd go do a quick inventory check of their flurazepam. Unless because she was a nurse and she had to deliver pills to patients, maybe she just would pocket those. I mean, that's a lot. Of, it's a lot. But it reminds me of that Johnny Cash song where he's building a Cadillac from the factory. Oh, yeah. One piece at a time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a good song. Yeah. So I don't know. It's kind of interesting. But morphine... She would also have access to, and morphine can be ingested or taken intravenously. And there was a needle mark in her arm, but due to the decomp, they really can't be sure if that's how the morphine was delivered or not. Like, that needle mark could have been from before or not related. Totally. At this point, all we know is that there's 80 pills of lorazepam and morphine that could have been injected or ingested. Either way. Damn. So there was also no syringe at the scene or a car. So she wouldn't have been able to inject herself with morphine and walk from where her car was to where her body was found. So either she took it orally if she did this to herself or somebody injected her if somebody else did this to her. Yeah, no kidding. So the next piece of the puzzle are the bindings from, you know, she was tied up. Uh huh. Her family does not think that she could have tied herself up into that position. No, I mean, that seems pretty... Hard to do, for sure. Yeah. So they had a not specialist come on. It's like a Boy Scout or something? Yeah. Or a Navy guy? I don't know. Some kind of not specialist. A sailor? I don't know. And Cindy was not a special... A not special... That's a really hard sentence to say. Yep. Cindy was not a not specialist. Wow. But they had this not specialist come in and demonstrate tying himself up in that position with those exact knots. And it took him over three minutes to do this. So it's possible, I guess, but if she had 80 pills of flurazepam and morphine in her system, like, is that very likely that she could do that? I don't think so. Not being a not specialist? Yeah, I don't think so. That's I I, I think it would be reacting pretty quick, especially the morphine. Yeah. And that's the thing is the only way that that could even really work was if she took the pills and the morphine both orally. And then in the few minutes it took for them to take effect, she tied herself up really quick and then she overdosed. But it's like, how long does it take to take that many pills? Like to actually physically take that many pills? Yeah, I I mean. Because that's cutting into the time from when you took the first one to when you take the last one cuts into the time that the first one's going to start working. You know? Yeah. So if you have 10 minutes before the fluorazepam starts to take effect from when you ingest it, like, how long does it take to to physically swallow 80 pills? Does it take two minutes or three minutes? So then you only have seven minutes to tie yourself up? Like, that, I don't, it just... Doesn't add up. No, for sure. Yeah. So if they 
could figure out how the morphine got into her system, it'd be really easy to make a decision on whether this was suicide or murder. Because if it was injected, it was murder. Because she wouldn't have had time, for sure, to tie herself up if it was injected. Right. Like, it would happen immediately. But if it was ingested, it's still possible that she could have done it. But they don't figure out how the morphine gets into her system, which is why they can't make a decision. So the inquest ended with the ruling that Cindy James died from an unknown event. How did she die from an unknown event? Like they can't. That's what that means is they can't decide whether it's murder or su- or suicide because they don't know what the event was that that they don't know how the drugs got in her system. So they can't say if it's murder or suicide. So they ruled it. She died from an unknown event. I've never heard any. I've never heard that term. They can't figure it out. They don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. I just I've never heard that term. Yeah. So we're not any farther. It's still exactly where it was. The cops think it's suicide. Everybody else thinks it isn't. We're just kind of at a standstill. That's it. The coroner's inquest did nothing. Okay, so where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? How do we figure out who the hell, like, terrorized this girl? Or if she did it to herself? What is the, like, what's the resolution to this? Oh, there isn't one. Ah! Yeah, I knew you were going to love that. Damn it! Nothing has, yeah, nothing's really happened in this case, like, officially, in, like, 33 years. But just like you... People can't forget about it. They're like, what the hell happened? Yeah. It's been covered by Unsolved Mysteries, Current Affair, like all kinds of endless TV shows, podcasts, newspapers, us. (laughs) Like there's been books written about it. Like because it's wild. No matter what theory you believe, it's bananas. Yeah. This is, I mean, this is terrible. Like. Yeah. I hate that we don't know what happened to her. Yeah. But either way, it's crazy because if you think that she was being stalked, harassed, and then murdered, like if you think she was telling the truth, somebody got away with that consistently for seven years and now another 33 years since. That's mind-blowing. Yeah, or if you think she was doing it to herself all along, she got away with this giant conspiracy for like seven years and then left zero evidence after she committed suicide that she ever did anything to herself. So it's like either both theories make zero sense. Like, how did this happen? Aliens, obviously. It's the only one that makes sense. It's aliens. Yeah, I mean, it's both sides of the story are hard to believe. Yeah, I'm struggling with it right now. So yeah, I can understand that both sides are hard to believe. Yeah, because it seems like in the course of this investigation, whether the cops believed her or not, they could have surveilled her and then told her like, okay, we're stopping the surveillance, but still kept surveilling her. Just to see. Yeah. Yeah. And they would have either caught somebody attacking her, leaving her a dead cat or whatever, or they would have caught her staging an attack. But it doesn't seem like they ever did either of those things. So it's like... Well, and her living police officer boyfriend doesn't have anything to say either. So she must have played it cool when she needed to play it cool if it was her. Yeah. Which is a lot. It, that's a lot. Because she just yeah. has to turn off an entire other personality unless she was like in a happy place or something. I don't know. That's Exactly. That's the other thing is if she had that disorder, how come nobody in her life ever saw any sign of it? Yeah, I don't know. So... We're going to kind of go not through like all the super detailed theories, but I just want to kind of like point out some of the stuff that points to it being real and not her. And then some of the stuff that points to it being 
her and not real. Just to remind you so that you can tell me what you think, you know? Yeah, I'm listening. Okay. So some of the evidence that points to it being real and not her are the violence and some of the attacks. Like you were saying, it would probably be pretty hard to stab through your hand with a knife just to stage something. And all the cuts and all that kind of stuff, the injections, where did the syringes go, the bruises, the scrapes. Yeah, totally. Like, they're all possible but unlikely. Correct, of course, yeah. Yeah. Another thing that points to it being real is the fact that other people witnessed the phone calls and the strange happenings, like the guy standing outside of her house after the fire. Other people, like the cop boyfriend and her friends, heard the hang-up phone calls, the heavy breathing phone calls, all of that. And some of her friends even say one night while they were playing cards in her kitchen, her alarm went off, like her burglar alarm. And so they went around and they found a broken window that was broken while they were playing cards with her. So there's no way she could have broken it. Wow. Yeah. Wild, just wild stuff. Just wild, wild stuff. The location that her body was found is also a big problem. It was kind of unlikely that it had been there the entire two weeks she was missing. They estimated that based on the decomp of her body, that it was more like a week, not two weeks. Okay. So where the hell was she for a week that she was missing? Yeah, just hanging out. But the biggest reason to support the stalker being real, I think... Is if she was doing all of this to herself, just say it was fake, and she was totally out of her mind, like they're saying, how the fuck did she never get caught? Like, how did she never slip up? They never caught her doing anything to herself. Like, you're telling me that you really think that she was that out of her mind, but still this good? That's what's crazy is, I mean, maybe, (laughs) you know, like, it's not off the table. We don't know. And maybe her other personality was that good. Yeah, it's not off the table because the evidence to support that she did do it was that nobody ever got caught for any of these incidents. No one ever witnessed any of the violent attacks or saw somebody breaking into her house or cutting her phone lines. Like, nothing. I mean, this person got away with it. Wow. So, also the voice on the audio recording, the only audio recording, sounds like it could be her. I mean, there's no way to prove that, but it's possible it was her. The police have always been skeptical and felt like she was hiding something, and they know this case way better than anybody. So it's like, maybe they know something we don't know, you know, that they haven't released. Because they all think that this was her. So, who knows? But there are a few things to note, too, that are really important before you make your decision on what you think happened, Grant. What are they? What what else do I need to know? So that investigator that she started that relationship with, his name was Patrick McBride, and this relationship was highly inappropriate but it's been said that he was one of the few cops that believed her but a couple years after cindy's death he was convicted of sexually assaulting two women what yeah in two separate instances two years apart one the year cindy died and then one in 1991 and rumor has it that he told one of his victims she reminded him of cindy Okay, but why wouldn't he, if he had done anything to her while he was living with her? Right. Like, he just wanted to get close and then he was fine? I don't know. He was investigated, obviously, and he blamed some of his actions for these these other sexual assaults that he was convicted of on Cindy's death and, like, what happened with Cindy and all that kind of stuff. Like, he said that he, like, kind of lost it. But they cleared him of Cindy's attacks 
And it was also later discovered that he had been diagnosed with a personality disorder in 1984. Good. So I don't know why he was a police officer. I don't either. Yeah, seems kind of weird, but okay. Well, I think the standards for cops were pretty low at that point. Yeah. They cleared him, I guess. And the only other publicly known, really, person of interest is Roy Makepeace, her ex-husband. He had the knowledge and the means to literally drive her up the wall. But he had alibis for most of her attacks. Like, sometimes he was out of the country, even. So they cleared him, too. I mean, it doesn't mean that it wasn't somebody else that she knew, like, casually, or even a stranger that she met in passing once and fixated on her, but there's never been anybody else publicly named. So what about, like, new DNA? Obviously, like, did they, are they able to take any of the DNA from any of this and test it through new ways now? Well, I'm sure they could, but they haven't. So unless they do DNA, like, on the nylon stocking and find somebody else's DNA besides Cindy's, this is probably going to stay unsolved. Ah, I hate all of that, too. Yeah. There's none of, nothing about this case that I like. Yeah. So which theory do you think is more likely? Was there a stalker who got away for seven years with all of this and got worse and worse and worse and worse until he killed her? Or did she plan out this elaborate seven-year hoax just to commit suicide? Damn it. I don't know. Um, I'm going to say she did it. I think she did it to herself. I'm going to say that. You think so? Yeah, that's the one I'm going with. I think uh, somebody else would have been caught. I think that going in and out or something. You would hope so. Yeah. No signs of forced entry and things like that. I don't think anybody else was involved. Yeah. Especially because nowadays, like, you think they could go back and retest the evidence for DNA. And if they found somebody else's DNA at the crime scene, it'd be like, bingo. Yeah, totally. So. All right. So that's mine. What's your theory? I mean, you're the one who did most of this, (laughs) most of this uh, investigation. Did you find anything else that you believe? Yeah. I go back and forth. Like sometimes when I've looked into this case, I'm like, obviously she did it to herself. And then other times I'm like, she was obviously being tortured by somebody. But I've kind of like, I don't know, I've kind of settled on. I think that she was being stalked in the beginning. And I think it was probably an ex-husband, maybe. And I think that eventually it drove her so up the wall that she did end up doing this to herself. Oh, you think it was like Like, a mix? I think it's both. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I do think it was both. Okay, I could see that. I mean, unless they ever find somebody's DNA at her crime scene, I mean, I think this is going to stay unsolved, which sucks because I feel like until they could prove that it was a suicide, I think they should have investigated it as a murder. I get what you mean, but... Like, I don't think they should have to prove that it was a murder. I think they should have to prove that it wasn't a murder because it clearly looks like a murder. It does feel like a murder for sure, but I'm sticking with, with she did it to herself. Yeah, I don't know. It's a pretty sad case, though. Oh, it's super sad. Any way you slice it, whether she did this to herself, was driven to do this, or somebody else did this to her, like, it's sad. Yeah, because no matter matter what. what. It's a sad life. That's a really sad life. Yep. It was a really bad last seven years, for sure. Because, like you said, she was either out of her mind, or somebody was driving her out of her mind, or both, which is even more sad to think about. Right. I think it's more sad, for sure. Yeah. And I hate that we're probably never going to know. So thanks for for bringing this case to my attention. You're welcome. All right. Well, we're going to get going. Um, I love you and I'm sorry. That's all right. I'll get through this one. But I love you too. Thanks for bringing it to my attention. Hey, don't forget that we're going to go live on TikTok this weekend, guys. So I don't know if you keep a lookout for that. I don't know how you do that. Friday, Saturday, both. I don't know if you can set an alert. But if so, set an alert. We'll be there. 
set an alert. Hey, can you do that? I don't know. I'm saying if you can, do it. <laughs> <laughs> we have no idea what we're doing. No, but we'll figure it out. All right. Love you. Love you too. Bye. Bye. Bye.